Thank you, Sally. Um, many of you know Sally is involved in a number of tangible ministries, and it is the desire of this church um, for um, us to be a worship plus one fellowship, um, that we come here to worship, we come here to be strengthened in matters of the faith, and that we are sent out to be the hands and feet of Jesus um, in the world around us. Um, Nicoloa Panzanini, the great concert violinist, stood before a packed house surrounded by a full orchestra. He had played a number of difficult pieces, but he had then come to perhaps his favorite violin concerto. It was one that was remarkably difficult to play, and as he played, one of the strings on his violin snapped. And yet relying upon his talent, he improvised to play the concerto with only three strings. Shortly thereafter, however, a second string broke on his instrument, and undaunted, Panzanini played the piece with only two strings, when yet a third string broke. For those of you who have any inclination to music, know that this is not something that would be easy to overcome. And however, amazingly, this artist finished with only one string. He took what appeared to be an impossible situation, he turned it into a triumph, and his attitude made all the difference. No matter what we pursue in our lives, our attitudes are the key. That is especially the case when it comes to spiritual matters. R. Kent Hughes says, our perceptions and misconceptions, what we view as possible and impossible, our prejudices, our lack thereof, make an awesome difference. The question that we must ask ourselves today is this, what is my attitude toward other people whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ is concerned. A few different incidents are recorded more than once in the book of Acts to emphasize their importance. For instance, we saw that with the Apostle Paul's conversion experience on the Damascus Road. Luke emphasizes Paul's conversion several times for several reasons. We talked about one of them last week that if the gospel is for Saul of Tarsus, then the gospel must be for everyone. We now see a repetition of an incident recorded in Acts chapter 10, but that repetition of this particular event occurs within the narrative itself and then into chapter 11 verses 4 to 17. Just like what happens with Saul's conversion then, Luke is saying that what happens here is pivotal to the Christian faith. It is pivotal to the church. We find first in this text the preparation of the gospel message. You see, Cornelius was a religious seeker. He was not closed off to God, but he did not yet have a personal relationship with God. Consider what verses 1 through 8 reveal about him. He was a military officer from Rome, so he was a disciplined person. He gave alms to the poor, so he was a generous person. And he regularly prayed to God that he had heard about from the Jews, so he was a religious person. 
He was definitely open to matters of the faith, but he was not yet actually a man gripped by saving faith. I hope you know there is a difference. Knowing about God, doing things in the name of God, attending church because you think it might appease a God, falls way, way short of being right with God. It is having the appearance of the things of God without a personal relationship. And well, we all need a personal relationship through Christ. G. Campbell Morgan compares Cornelius to Nicodemus. The latter was the highest product of Judaism who came seeking the light during the night. The former was a Gentile who sought out truth but still needed to be introduced to the truth. The key, however, is that both men were open. The Holy Spirit must blow in such a way so as to prepare a person's heart for the gospel. No human argument. No beautiful sermon is going to win a soul. You can think the position to which you hold is clear and as refreshing as a pure glass of water. But until a person is prepared to hear the gospel, he or she is not going to listen to it. So I might insert here that our attitude will make an awesome difference. And what I mean by this is if you approach someone with your argument, trying to win the day, you will more likely offend that person than build a bridge or a connection. You may have heard the old saying, don't tell me what you know until you show me that you care. Oh, but it is easy for us in the church today to care for individuals like Cornelius. He was the kind of guy that we would feel comfortable with, even though he was not a member of the church. But while that might be true for us today, it was certainly not true for Peter during his day. So we find next the preparation of the gospel messenger. Peter would have had absolutely no problem associating with Cornelius if Cornelius were already circumcised. But Peter thought himself above associating with the uncircumcised. In Peter's way of thinking, God would never save Gentiles as Gentiles. No, they would have to become a Jew first. So God had to change Peter's attitude. And the Lord was already in the process of doing precisely that. It has started in chapter 8, if you remember in our study, when Peter had gone to Samaria, and Jews didn't associate readily with Samaritans, but here he was, and he saw that the Holy Spirit had fallen on Samaritans. And, and then in chapter 9, you see where Peter was staying in the house of a Hebrew tanner named Simon. And tanners worked with leather, which means they handled dead animals. And according to Jewish way of thinking, anyone who touched dead bodies became unclean. And yet here we find Peter staying in Simon the Tanner's home. But Gentiles? Gentiles? Certainly not unclean Gentiles. What does Peter's attitude have to do with you and me? After all, we are Gentiles. And as I've said, Cornelius was, well, he's, he's our kind of dude. But how often are we 
quick to write off people who come from different backgrounds than us, who identify differently sexually than us, who embrace a different stance than us on hotbed political issues and so on. Surely not, we might say. And the result of that type of attitude is the necessary growth of a Christianity that exists along identical lines because we're only willing to connect with those who already look like us, those who already think like us, and those who already talk like us. Only Peter says in verse 34 that he now knows God does not show favoritism. An attitude of favoritism is to show preferential treatment to one person or group of persons at the expense of another. Maybe we are guilty of favoritism, and if so, you and I need to repent. As a very wealthy man, Alan Emery, tells in his book, Turtle on a Fence, how he sold his family business at the age of 45. He then went to work for service master. He says, my first assignment was to work for two weeks as a houseman in a large metropolitan hospital. Mind you, he needed not work. He was wealthy. He just wanted to experience life differently. I was to mop corridors and empty trash containers and clean ashtrays. While not in the best condition for this work, I completed the day's schedule. The shock was not in the job but in the general rejection of me as a person because of my green uniform and the kind of work I was doing. Not a single person responded to my good morning except others in the housekeeping department. I had never before experienced the caste system like this. How about people in orange uniforms? How do they appear to us? My mom um, has since gone to be with the Lord, and she was a believer, but she had a number of demons in her life, a number of things that she struggled with. And there was a season in her life where she was in prison, where she wore an orange uniform. How do you look at people who are in prison? Nothing helps one's perspective more than spending time with those who we wrongly view as being somehow beneath us. Amen. What makes me more favorable than anyone else to receive the unmerited grace of God? Peter had come to realize that his identity as a Christian did not give him any right, any right to call another person as common or unclean. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as that of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. I need to be reminded of that today. I need to be reminded of that every day. No flippancy, no superiority, 
no presumption. The presentation of the gospel message must be for everyone. At the time of Pastor Harry Ironside's father's death, he recalls his dad muttering something over and over again. The family, however, could not make out exactly what he was saying until finally they caught on. Mr. Ironside, who always used the King James Version of the Bible, was thinking about Peter's vision from Acts chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, with the great sheet knit at the four corners, let down to the earth, he was saying, a great sheet with all manner of four-footed beast of the earth and wild beast, and, 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 but he couldn't quite finish it. So a friend bent over into his ear and whispered, John, next it says, and creeping things. Oh yes, he said, that's how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing. But I got in, saved by grace. Whenever you see yourself, not as the clean animal, but as the unclean one, not as the attractive beast, but as the creeping thing, as the one who is saved by the grace of God, as the one who got on the sheet and is pronounced clean in Jesus Christ, then you are ready, then you are ready to open your heart and your arms to other people. And it does not matter what they look like. It does not matter what they think. It does not matter how different they are from you because God does not show favorites. And if I got in... The gospel must be for everyone. I will say it again here, if that is our attitude, it will make an awesome difference. While the Holy Spirit must provide fertile ground for the gospel to take root, thus preparing people's hearts and minds to hear it, we must all be prepared to build relationships and to go into homes and to write to people who are in prison and to proverbially talk to individuals who wear different colored uniforms than us. The gospel must be for everyone. And this is the gospel. Jesus came to this earth fully God and fully man. Jesus walked this earth without sin, ministering in the name of the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But sinners crucified the King of glory. And yet the Father raised his Son from the grave on the third day as attested by many witnesses. And Jesus then ascended to the right hand of the Father from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Peter finally says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. What would you add or subtract to the presentation of the gospel message than that? The answer must be nothing. Who do you believe is unworthy to hear that gospel message? Who is unworthy of the wonderful grace of Jesus? The answer must be no one. 
Peter says we deliver the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. What thus follows in Acts chapter 10 is a third model of Pentecost, showing that the Holy Spirit indeed shows no favorites. Not among Jews, not among Samaritans, and not among Gentiles. We saw how the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews in Acts chapter 2, then on the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and now here on the Gentiles, each time in the presence of the Apostle Peter. Nothing else is required to receive the gospel. It is a come-as-you-are, circumcised or uncircumcised message of grace. And hear me on this. This is remarkably important. If we speak about the teaching of Jesus first with an unbeliever, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about, hey, clean yourself up first, and then you can come. Oh, how wrong that is. We don't get cleaned up to come. We come as we are. Jesus does the cleansing. And so here we are, not to be with some self-righteous mindset that is harmful. Here we are, not as individuals who are going to be about saying to individuals that, hey, you need to think like me and look like me and talk like me. No, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Because I was a wretch. And he saved even me. If he can do this in my life, he can do it in yours too. J.C. Ryle once wrote, Where then must a man go for pardon? Where is forgiveness to be found? There is a way both sure and plain, and into the way I desire to guide every inquirer's feet. That way is simply to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is to rest your soul with all its sins unreservedly on Christ. All your sins unreservedly on Christ at the end of the day. Our attitude must never be that we fix people before we offer them the gospel. At the end of the day, our attitude must never be prejudicial. It must never be one that shows any form of favoritism. Our attitudes should simply be to let the Holy Spirit work through the power of the gospel, for that is what will make an awesome difference. It is the power of the gospel that changes hearts, that changes minds, and that changes lives. It's not your argument. It's not your political position. It's not how you identify. It's the gospel. And who is not worthy to hear the gospel? If we don't believe the gospel is inclusive, and if we're not optimistic about what the gospel can do, people will never come to Christ and people will not be changed. The gospel must be for everyone, just as they are. Just as I am. Christ saved me. 
How did he save you? As a creeping thing. Just as you are. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that where <laughs> I am hesitant to speak to some about Jesus, that you would remove that attitude from me. And that I would build relationships with all persons, regardless of background, regardless of how one identifies him or herself. Because Jesus, I know what you've done in my life. I know what you can do in the lives of others. So the gospel must be for everyone. Teach us, I pray today, Holy Spirit. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Guide us where we need to be guided. We come today just as we are. I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet made a decision for you, Christ, that Holy Spirit, you would move. And that today might be the day that one who is lost and without you might come into a relationship with you, just as they are. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, um, Charlie Green, Charlie Green used to say to me before he passed, and I miss Charlie, he would say, you know, Timothy, Billy Graham would end every service with just as I am. We don't sing that enough, Timothy. Charlie, today, our song of response is just as I am. Hymn 435, if you're able to stand, I ask you to stand. If you have a decision to make, the altar is open. <laughs>